This is Ozarks at Large. University of Arkansas Professor Marty Matlock is taking a leave of absence to serve in the Biden administration. He's been appointed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture to serve as Senior Advisor for Food Systems Resiliency. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich gives us this report. Marty Matlock, who holds a Ph.D. in biosystems engineering from Oklahoma State University, is also a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. He serves as chairman of the tribe's Environmental Protection Commission. His indigenous roots serve as a matrix for his academic research and writing on ecologically sustainable food, water, and community systems. He is founder and executive director of the University of Arkansas Resiliency Center and professor of ecological engineering in the biological and agricultural engineering department. But for now, he's leaving all that behind to live and work in Washington, D.C. as a senior advisor for food systems resiliency and appointee of the United States Department of Agriculture. So I was asked by the Biden administration and Secretary Vilsack back in January to consider this role. I've been a University of Arkansas professor for 20 plus years. So I was asked to uh, consider helping as part of the Build Back Better program to consider uh, helping USDA across all of its mission areas to create a program to support resilient food systems. Due to widespread food supply disruptions caused by the global pandemic and under executive order, USDA is investing more than $4 billion through its Build Back Better initiative, as Matlock mentioned. The program will strengthen America's food system, create new market opportunities, tackle the climate crisis, help communities that have been left behind, and support good-paying agricultural food processing and retail jobs. Matlock's role is to make the nation's food supply chain more resilient, meaning the ability to quickly recover from difficult situations. For example, America's meat supply was disrupted by the pandemic. Slaughterhouse and food processing facilities shut down due to widespread illness and death among factory line workers in close quarters, Matlock says, leading to both production and agricultural bottlenecks. And those, those companies are incredibly efficient, they're incredibly effective, that is to say profitable. What we see is an hourglass supply chain. We have over 900,000 beef producers in the United States, cow-calf operators, usually 50 acres, uh, 15, 20 cows. That's really the basis of most of our beef in the United States, comes from our neighbors uh, and and those grass-fed pastures. And then some of it is shipped to a a centralized feed yard for fattening, and that's usually six weeks out of the two-year life of the of the animal, and then it's harvested. Harvested by four major corporate meat packers operating dozens of slaughterhouses and processing facilities. Cargill in Minnesota, Tyson Foods in Arkansas, JBS headquartered in Brazil, and National Beef Packing in Kansas City, Missouri. And just one glitch among any of those four meat suppliers can result in massive shortages, higher prices, and burdens on farmers. So what we learned from that is, and that was just one problem, because then we also had a fire at a beef processing facility in Kansas. We had uh, a cybersecurity attack on a, on a JBS facility. And each of those took another 10% bite out of our processing capacity. Now, the reason we're concerned about that isn't just because, oh, consumers had to pay 10 cents more per pound of hamburger. Uh, That wasn't really the concern. The concern is that if you can't process those animals, the farmer, the rancher has to do something with them. 
which means suddenly the ranchers are taking it on the chin because there's excess supply. And so you end, this, you end up with this artificial cycle in the market that just started hurting everybody. But it, we have a national security interest in ensuring that we have the capacity to produce our own food. A decentralized meat supply chain would be comprised of local farmers selling local feed to local ranchers selling locally fed cattle to local slaughterhouses, the meat delivered to local stores. The same goes for fresh fruits and vegetables, which, corporate grown, are abundant in U.S. grocery stores, but in many places remain inaccessible, Matlock says. This goes to the complexity of our system. Our system is efficient because economics drives efficiency. If you pay for something, paying less is better. If you, if you sell something, selling it for more is better, right? That's, those are pretty much fundamental mark, free market drivers. As big box retailers proliferated across the U.S. in the 1980s and 90s, many thousands of mom and pop stores went bankrupt, creating food deserts in low-income urban and rural districts, including in Arkansas. This issue of the food desert, especially with fruit and vegetables, is just so poignant because you know, the, some of the leading causes of, of, of disease and death in this country are what we eat. Matlock points to tribal enterprise in Oklahoma as a model. Uh, I'm a member of the Cherokee Nation. What I see our tribal communities doing is working with their infrastructure, their retail infrastructure, gas stations, uh, sort of quick stops, and making them micro grocery stores. The Choctaw Nation is doing an incredible job of this, of having fresh fruits and vegetables in their gas stations. That's the kind of solution you need. Now, that's innovation. That's not going to make the Choctaw Nation money, but it's going to make them healthier. And it's going to give their citizens more choice. Markets don't solve those problems. We've got to figure out a way to, to create that. It would be much easier to do that if we had the means of production, processing, and distribution within each region and locale. In effect, reestablishing America's historic agrarian landscape. So now we have production capacity and processing capacity and distribution capacity within our own communities. This is a brand new idea that we invented 300 years ago. It's not new, actually probably 30,000 years ago. It's called modern, it's called agriculture, where communities produce our own food. Uh, and so the concentration of fruits and vegetable production in this country into four major regions across the, the Sun Belt so that we have two seasons of growth, sometimes three seasons, three harvests a year, is part of that market driver that has resulted in uh, incredible distant production. But town square farmers markets, which are trending across the country now, only target a certain demographic, Matlock says. Lots of folks think the solution is sort of some sort of farmers market-esque type of approach. Wrong. Those are great. I love them. It was in Madison, Wisconsin on Saturday, an incredible farmer's market downtown. It's like going to Disneyland. You wait in line for every, for 10 minutes for every booth, right? It's incredible. But what th those are those are a higher end sort of luxury experiences for those who have the benefit of time and have wealth. Arkansas was once a major exporter of canned beans and spinach, fresh strawberries, grapes, jams, and fresh apples. And Matlock is looking to rebuild such capacity for both local processing and distribution. And we call those food hubs processing distribution within communities the means of, that will drive the means of production around those communities of peri-urban agriculture. That sort of concept of, of our ability to produce is critical for our community prosperity and health. If we do not do these things better, 
we will continue to get unhealthy from what we eat, and our food system will be subject to disruption. But rebuilding local food systems in America will take planning, civic engagement, and federal startup funding, which Matlock says is the mission of USDA's Build Back Better initiative. This is where the federal government has a role to play. We need to remove the barriers for competition. We need to enhance the capacity for people, entrepreneurs who want to be in those spaces, to move into those spaces, and there are lots of them. There are lots of innovative models about how you do neighborhood production, everything from a very uh, sort of social-minded uh, nonprofit uh, system to a very capitalistic uh, profit-based system, but that is that is socially engaged. So there, the whole spectrum of, of creative capacity here. Matlock cites local breweries as an example. Just two decades ago, national beer companies cornered the market. Today, Northwest Arkansas counts Fossil Cove, Boston Mountain, Apple Blossom, Bike Rack, Saddlebach, and Ivory Bill as successful breweries selling both tap and packaged beers across the region. But to build out sustainable local farm-to-retail food production will take time and lots of federal support. So we're talking about bringing billions of dollars of federal uh, resources to bear to provide available low interest, uh, in some cases, no interest loans available grants, sometimes low, low, small producers, small retailer grants across the supply chain. Loans and grants are the tools we have. Technical assistance, workforce development are other tools we have. We'll be doing all four of those things. Stakeholder meetings with local communities and tribes are already underway, Matlock says, to establish best practices, as is collaboration with USDA rural development. He says he will be courting land-grant universities and extension programs to assist to provide technical support. The Build Back Better initiative is funded through the American Rescue Plan, as well as the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich.